What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Junkyard podcast. Sorry for the two-minute delay. We seem to always have technical difficulties here <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> at this show, but hey, we're, we're here, we're live, we're in living color. How, how, how have you been, my friend? Jamie, I am doing quite well, quite well. We're recovering from whatever we've had over the last month and a half. We're feeling better. Um, I am uh, looking forward to tonight's show. Looking forward to March 3rd, about a month and a half away. Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. Revolution. Getting closer and closer. Place is sold. Hold out. 35 tickets are left. We got over 15,300 strong. Tony Khan, I need you to open up the rest of those sections, sir. If not the whole lower bowl, open up maybe another section or two. Open up the entire upper deck. Scale the stage. You've done it before. You did it for Grand Slam. You've done it for other dynamites. You did it for Forbidden Door. Do it. I love stage designs. I really do. You need to scale it back, my friend. Scale it back. Let's get 17 to 18,000 strong. Send off the stinger. Grand style. Let's do it. How are you, Jamie? <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I think we need to spray some of this body spray I got on my desk for all the sad WWE fans that are upset, <laughs> stinking over the fact that AEW had a pretty good show last night, and then the the ratings. The rating show, and they're fuming. They're sweating, just typing away at all their angry comments on the, on the keyboard there. Um, but let's talk about some big moments. You mentioned Revolution. I think I think AEW um, they did a few things here this this week on Dynamite to uh, to at least advance possibilities of of matches at Revolution. As looking like we're getting in international title match between Orange Cassidy and, and Roderick Strong. I think that'll be a very, very good match on that show. It, it looks almost official that Sting and Darby Allen will be fighting at Revolution. Maybe against the Young Bucks, but that, that, that promo where Darby says they end up as tag team champions, I mean, I, I'll take a I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, we don't really have much of a card yet, but we still have a, a little over a month to to get some some stories being built here. And, and Tony Khan is good at this. The last couple weeks leading up to a pay per view, he's always that's always when he's in his creative genius. And I think the numbers for last night's show show that. And then that main event. That we might get at Revolution. Samoa Joe, Adam Hangman Page, Swerve Strickland. I mean, just give it to us. That's a great main event. Could be early contender for match of the year. What are your thoughts on last night's Dynamite? Yeah, give me that triple threat. Uh, inject that into my veins. That would be a phenomenal main event for the Idol. Um, I 
think that would be a really good way to infiltrate the AEW homegrown talent with Swerve Hangman and uh, get that the champion of Joe who uh, created a star last night in Hook and Hook looked amazing. Um, Joe looked strong as well. It was a very entertaining match. I really enjoyed it. My boys and girls in Charleston, South Carolina at the North Charleston Coliseum got a really good show top to bottom, bottom to top things in between we started to build some more stories we're a month and a half away from revolution planted we're getting some match being built up donna Perrazzo, tony storm uh orange cassie roger strong the triple threat match sting and darby potentially versus the unbucks with the tag team titles in the mix um we're ramping up man we're ramping up it's getting good and i'm glad that we're starting to get the build of the show about a month and a half in advance we're really building the storytelling each and every week i really enjoyed it um my friends in Charleston, man, wish I was down there for that show. It was a really good show. The crowd seemed pretty into it for the most part of the show, which is really cool to see. Um, hopefully some of my friends down in Charleston that represented the South Carolina Stingrays were down there. Some of the fans of the Stingrays, I'm a season ticket holder that I saw to before I left. He was a uh, really big wrestling fan, and, and uh, selfishly, I like to think that our connection in wrestling helped me sell him that full season ticket plan. Um, but... Uh, um, hopefully he was down there and, and hopefully everybody in, at Charleston had a great time. So, um, yeah, that was a good show top to bottom and, uh, really enjoying the build that we're getting for revolution here as we're inching closer to day March 3rd. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely spot on about that hook build. I, I always thought, you know, this is what hook needs to be. He doesn't have to be this guy that just defends the FTW title every now and again, that he can be a guy that can be a main event star. And boy, was he, that, that, that match was great. It was fast paced. It, it didn't take a whole lot of time. Um, but what they filled in in that 10 or 15 minutes that they had there, it was just, it, it was great storytelling. Um, Hook looked great. Joe looked dominant. I don't. I don't think anybody lost necessarily in that match. Um, and Hook is his tra- trajectory is just skyrocketing. And obviously the fans paid attention because he had one of the highest rated segments in terms of of um, viewership and, and his uh, quarter segment there. So look, Hook sells, I guess, and. In comparison to to what we could have got, it was a great match, and I think it shut up a lot of keyboard warriors who who thought that Hook asking for, for Joe for a belt, a title match, was dumb. I think they shut him up, and I think I think everybody came out a winner, even though Hook, I guess, technically lost the match. Um, before we kind of head into our big segment that we're going into. A couple other things that happened over the weekend in, in the sport of pro wrestling. Jungle Boy Jack Perry shows up in New Japan Pro Wrestling, rips up his AEW contract, and he's calling himself the scapegoat. I am kind of intrigued on where this story goes. He hasn't been seen in AEW since the whole all-in incident with with. CM Punk. Um, I think it's a work, but I don't know. 
Uh, and that's those are always the best types of storylines when when you really don't know and you can you just want to watch it play out. What what are your thoughts on Jungle Boy in New Japan? I think it's a definitely a work, um, but I thought it, it, it got people's attention on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Um, great showing again from New Japan in San Jose at Battle in the Valley. That's two years in a row they've ran at that arena in San Jose, sold out the place pretty much. Great crowd, uh, looked good. Uh, seemed like they're into it for, for, for the night. Had some had some really good matches on the show too. Uh, but yeah, that was intriguing. Did not see that coming. And, uh, you know, I think we've gotten the evolution of Jungle Boy now. He's up to Jungle Man. With that beer uh, beer game on uh, on point. Um, Ripping up the AEW contract, very, very good. Definitely has got some intrigue and interest as to why is he back? Why is he in New Japan? Why did he show up? Um, didn't see that coming. So that was really, really cool to see. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, down the road how this intertwines with each other. Maybe he stays off of AEW TV and slowly does some New Japan stuff as maybe a cross promotional type of thing with them. Um, you know, he, he was a well known star in the AEW realm. So. It's good to have that. They've always had Eddie Kingston and, and Claudio and, and the BCC going over and Eddie uh, to New Japan. So maybe having another talent go over there like Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, helps that relationship grow a little bit more. Um, so that's awesome. Good to see that. Um, and then obviously um, the TNA review, Hard to Kill. Very interesting show. From beginning to end. Um, it's the first time I've watched a TNA pay-per-view since I think we watched either Same Anniversary or uh, one of the other pay-per-views they had maybe a couple years ago. And um, it was an okay show. It was solid. wasn't great. wasn't bad. It, it was solid. Um, you know, the intrigue of, of the big, announce, uh, big announcement of you'll never know who's – you'll never guess. You'll never know who's going to, to appear – we got Ash by Elegance, which is the formerly known Dana Brooke. She debuted in TNA. Um, Nick Nemeth, he debuted in TNA at the main event after the TNA World Title from Alex. Uh, Nick Nemeth came out of the crowd, uh, beat up Moose, and then went back into the crowd, ripped up the T-shirt and showed TNA. So now he is part of TNA Wrestling. Um, good for them. And uh, I know they had a really good show for that. Had a good show the next night for Snake Eyes, which I believe I'm, I need to be corrected. It was Snake Eyes a taped show to upcoming on Access TV as an Impact yes. show, or is it okay? Um, yes. Which is cool to see. That, they had Okada on the card. That yep. part of the taping I think debuted this earlier this evening. I don't gotcha. know if it was the whole show or if they taped multiple episodes, um, but yeah, it debuted. On TV, look at them. Why that uh, that uh, they did that for for TV purposes for Access TV? They had Okada on the card. Osprey was on the card. Um, Nick Nemeth wrestled his first match in TNA on that show. So um, TNA, good strong. The two nights in Vegas, they're going to be in Kissimmee, Florida, this upcoming weekend for some TNA Impact taping. So uh, they're on the up and up, and they're doing well. And, and good to see them doing that. And and um, you're getting some some new stars into the company and and uh, riding the wave of the momentum that they've had since the last pay per view, since Bound for Glory, since the rebranding of TNA. So really, really, really strong weekend of wrestling uh, overall, and I carried it into this week as well. 
Absolutely. Um, and then just long-term storytelling here. If they want to keep Jack Perry on New Japan exclusive for quite a while, my understanding is the next Forbidden Door is going to be in the Tokyo Dome. That's the rumor. Maybe I keep Perry off of AEW TV until then. Right. And you can have him have a play at Forbidden Door in the Tokyo Dome. And whether that's he takes the title off of Christian Cage or however he they want to play him getting back into the fold there. Um, yeah, good week of wrestling. Wrestling is on the up and up, I think, as a, overall as an industry. The first time in several months that a wrestling show has ranked number one overall over like even ESPN and other channels with AEW Dynamite last night, beat the head-to-head basketball game or whatever that was on and major key markets. So as Tony Khan tweeted out earlier today, it's going to be a good year in 2024 for maybe AEW and wrestling in general. Um, I guess we can mention Cora J tore ACL and hopefully she can recover. It seems like a lot of the women in the NXT Locker room tear their ACL at some point. Um, so good, hopefully a good recovery for her. And uh, yeah, anything else you want to add before we jump into our, our big segment tonight? Looks like um, Charlotte is uh, recovering pretty well from her ACL surgery. So that's good. And hopefully it makes a uh, healthy, but you know, hopefully a speedy recovery as well. Um, looks like Andrade is finished up with AEW and he'll be coming to WWE. Uh, they may hold him off until the Rumble and uh, return him there. That'd be a cool surprise and a good pop for him. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much it. And uh, exciting topic we have on deck here for tonight. Perfect. One last thing I forgot to mention, and then we'll move into it. If you've subscribed to Fightful and Sean Ross Sap, which you you probably should, the best five dollars in the industry. Um, Camille was backstage at the AEW Dynamite show last night. Um, she has obviously been one of NWA's biggest stars in the women's division there. She's a free agent. I don't know if she was on any ROH or uh, Rampage tapings or anything that they may have done, uh, but she was backstage last night, Maybe I assume maybe talking about possibly signing with AEW. Tony Khan did say he was going to be aggressive in the women's division. You had Camille... Maybe you add Mercedes Monet. I'd call that pretty aggressive. Um, you add to the stacked women's roster. You can get all these women, though, and like you said in our in our group chat, you just got to use them and use them right. You, you don't buy a ball of talent if you're not going to use them. Absolutely, no, I totally agree with that. They need the TV time. Um, I know he's going to be aggressive in the women's free agent market. Good up to him. You got to make sure the women get the TV time. Um, another good strong showing from Deanna Perrazzo. Anna Jades w- w- looked good on TV last night. Um, their storyline is, is progressing quite well and quite entertaining, and I'm enjoying that. Um, and I, I in women's world title, so that probably should be the biggest storyline for the women's division going, you know, in, in general. But um, as we lead into the next few weeks, hopefully we get some more storylines that we can see for the TBS title for Revolution, uh, maybe another women's match uh, with some storyline implications to it. That would be awesome to see as well. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, and uh, just a, a quick side note before we uh, get into the main main event here, the main topic. Um, 
I just want to go ahead and um, uh, congratulate the all the fans. And I know there's a lot. So uh, I, hope watching, I hope they're listening. I want to congratulate the fans and the organization of the Dallas Cowboys for choking again in January that they do every week. I know this is a wrestling <laughs> podcast, but man, as a Washington fan, as a Dallas hater, true, it warms my heart to know that you can always count on the Cowboys in early January to deliver a late Christmas present, an early New Year's present, and choke in the playoffs at home. It's enjoying. It's great. And I also want to congratulate myself and other Washington Commander fans out there. We finally got a great GM, Adam Peters, who's going to lead us back into the world of relevancy. Josh Harris and company are going to build this roster and this team and this front office staff really great. Exciting times are ahead for us, Washington fans. We're out of our hibernation, so to speak. We're getting there <laughs> one step at a time. But uh, congratulations to us, okay? We've been through enough. It's time for the up and up. It's time for us to see the sunlight. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get there. And uh, uh, maybe I'll, I'll write a blog or two about it. Maybe we'll have a sports section for the uh, Beyond the Junkyard and, or for, for the B, for the Junkyard movie, which is down there below. Visit us there. I got blog posts, uh, podcasts, all sorts of good stuff on the website. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's enough for me until I probably get more fans upset. And <laughs> um, one, one, one who blog. finishes the story first? The Dallas Cowboys or Cody Rhodes? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, All story. <laughs> Let's break into our next segment here. You know what this is. It's our weekly series leading up to... Some bigger, better events. We got a couple more episodes that we're going to plan on in the future. We're going to talk about the Hart family tonight. Because let's just be honest, wrestling is in their blood. And they got a long family history to talk about. So uh, let's get going on here. All right, let's start here with the uh, the heart wrestling family. Jeez, they, it goes back quite a while, almost a hundred years ago. Um, uh, this is I've been doing some research here, and they got a big family. This is, might be the biggest wrestling family of of them all. It starts all the way back with good old Stu, and you're the wrestling Stewie historian. Help. I'm sorry. Hold on. Am I right? Yes. And Stu and Helen. Yep. Stu and they, Helen. Uh, they are. Uh, they got the, busy. They got busy. They had a lot of. What's the whole doing Canada, I guess? <laughs> I guess during the Depression era. You, not really. Um, you're the wrestling historian. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what you know about Stu and Helen. Stu, well, Helen, uh, man, dude, uh, kudos to her. Um, that that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of children. That is a lot of children. Twelve children in total. 
my goodness. And each each of them played a role in the wrestling industry, whether they were wrestlers, bookers, referees, through appearances in shows and programs, um, helping out in, in the family industry. Uh, Stu Hart owned the Calgary um, uh, or St. Pete Wrestling based in Calgary. That's where this whole family was based out of in Calgary. Um, and they owned his own wrestling promotion and, and featured uh, pretty much everybody that was a wrestler in the family went through there. Um, obviously, the two most famous out of the family, Brett. Um, obviously, they, they went on to do much bigger things. But for Stu, uh, had uh, his his uh, track record starting with amateur wrestling and then um, most famously created the dungeon, which basically was a a uh, old gym mat basically in the basement of, of their home in Calgary. And that's where he trained these wrestlers. And he would put all sorts of these holds on them and, and – and, Make them scream into submission, pass out, almost pass out due to pain. Grown men crying, grown men screaming in in in, in, in agony. Uh, and that was the way to do it. That was the way to, to get these guys uh, toughened up and, and and ready to experience the kind of uh, lifestyle that came with pro wrestling. And um, Helen, you know, did a great job with with raising the family and then just trying to uh, um, keep the household together. It's a lot of it's a lot of family. It's a lot of kids to look after, but uh, I mean, they all did a good job with that. And um, if the if the men weren't involved in wrestling, the the daughters um, may have not been in wrestling, but but, but married in, married wrestlers. So uh, whether it be David Boy Smith who married into the family Jim Neidhart, um, just absolutely insane yeah, with how many uh, kids and, and just how it all intertwines and mingles together with wrestling and. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the most that I got for first two. But in general, just uh, a remarkable run uh, the family's had that that obviously continues to today. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, people cost the nature of what is known as what modern day professional wrestling is. Uh, I mean, Vince McMahon was very. Very high on on Stu Hart. Let's name a lot of these descendants. We got obviously we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Brett and Owen, but there were a lot of other kids that maybe didn't have as big of a role and big of a career. We got we got Smith Hart, Bruce Hart, Keith Hart, Wayne Hart, Dean Hart, Ellie Hart, Georgia Hart, Brett Hart, Allison Hart. Ross Hart, Diana Hart, and then Owen Hart, and then additional family members. Um, they had like a bajillion <laughs> grandchildren and, and in-laws, like you said. Uh, some some of the bigger ones: Jim the Anvil, Neidhart, Davy Boy Smith, um, Teddy Hart was the, um, I think the. Child of Georgia Hart. She had Teddy was her son. Um, she, there's a whole lot of them. When you think about Natalia, she's part of that family. Um, I want to kind of focus in on some of the bigger, bigger wrestlers in the family. Um, we'll start with with Brett. I think Brett maybe is the biggest name, known name of the Hart family. Um, What would you say Bret Hart's legacy in wrestling is? That is a great question. 
Um, I think that his legacy is one that carried the torch from the golden era to the new generation era. Him and Shawn Michaels obviously kind of carried that torch, but um, you know, once Hogan left and Flair left, Bret Hart was kind of the that that took the ball, took the reign, held the world title for for a couple of years, or was at least you know mingled in with the world title run from like ninety one all the way to ninety seven before he left for WCW and um, really carried the company through some good times, some bad times, and and, and sometimes in the in, um, had some just legendary matches with obviously Steve Austin, um, his brother Owen at WrestleMania ten. Um, uh, Shawn Michaels, obviously, uh, and just the list goes on. And um, Brett was the more famous of the Hart family, um, and I think Brett's legacy is 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 that of what his uh, one of his famous mottos: "The excellence of execution." Uh, probably the most uh, flawless technical wrestler in that has ever lived. Um, you know, obviously there are arguments for, for, for plenty of other guys that uh, um, that you can hear, but some of my favorite matches of all time involve Bret Hart uh, just because uh, from the, from the whether it's a storyline aspect of it, the the overall technician in the, in the ring, um, he made you believe. He made you believe with every move he did, whether it was a backbreaker, made you feel like he just absolutely broke the guy's back, whether it was a clothesline, whether it was a sleeper hold. Um whether it's a pile driver, whether it's a uh, um, sharpshooter, whatever the case may be, Bret Hart made you feel like what was going on was real. The intensity was there. Um, and just his matches were crafted to almost perfection each and every time. Uh, um, and uh, one of the absolute best of all time, for sure. Absolutely. Um, would would you say that Bret Hart's obviously everybody knows about the Montreal screw job. I think that might be one of the top ten biggest moments maybe in the history of pro wrestling. Um, would you say his legacy is diminished in any way because of his run in WCW where honestly I think WCW sold him a, a bit of goods that they, they really couldn't follow up on. And obviously Brett left because of the anger of the screw job. Um, I guess the question is his run in WCW wasn't long and uh, kind of riddled with injuries. Um, does that diminish anyway, his, his overlasting legacy in the pro wrestling business? No, I don't think so. Um, Brett was kind of served a, a weird conundrum. You know, Vince committed to him with that 20-year contract back in 96, and you know, Brett was good. Brett was like, you know, this is the ticket to having a lasting impression in the wrestling business forever. And then Vince, you know, said, hey, man, budget cuts, we we, we got to – got to scale back on that. I can't honor contract, you know, go to WCW, go get that money, go get that contract. And he did. Um, the crazy thing about all that is that it was documented to that in that uh, wrestling with shadows documentary DVD back in the late nineties with Bret Hart. 
Um, it's amazing how that was just absolute perfect timing when it came to that whole documentary and them allowing the, the cameras backstage and the and the wiring he did with some of his conversations with Vince McMahon and things like that. Um, and, you know, ultimately with the whole thing with Montreal, we don't have to always get into it. You know, that thing has been beaten to death. It's such an intriguing, interesting topic, and, and fans crave more and more about it and more about it each and every year and each and every passing day and anniversary we get to it. But um, you know, when Brett initially went to WCW, he he was thrust into a top spot. He he you know debuted in December '87, had that special guest enforcer thing, and at Starcade, and um, the very next month that sold out, wrestled in. Um, one of the main events, if not the main event, with Ric Flair. That was his first big storyline. And it was based around who's who's your overall best wrestler? Is it Ric Flair? Is it Bret Hart? And it had a really good storyline. And things were kind of looking kind of good there for, for, for a bit. And then I don't think Brett Bischoff knew how to book him. I don't think WCW knew what to do with him. I don't think that's Brett's fault at all. I just think that it's it's just one of those things that, yeah, we got a top guy from WWE and they had so much success with past WWE guys anyways with Savage and Luke Paul and Nash and Hogan that, hey, let's just add another piece of the puzzle. This, this is the piece that's probably going to end WWE for forever. And uh, and uh, obviously it didn't. But um, I think it's more so of WCW just not knowing how to book him. Um, he's had, He had some really good moments. Obviously, like I said, with the with the storyline with, uh, with Ric Flair, uh, his storyline with uh, Sting in, in the fall of 98, uh, he about killed Sting at uh, – Halloween Havoc 98. That was interesting. Um, his matches with T, his matches with Chris Benoit. Uh, one of my, again, all-time favorite matches was the uh, Yohan Hart tribute match between him and Benoit at uh, in 1999. Oddly enough, I think it was in the same arena that, that Owen uh, tragically passed away in. Uh, maybe it was. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was at a, a nearby um, arena. But I believe it was within the same area. Um, of, of which Owen passed away, but a fantastic match that I recommend everybody to go out and watch. It's just an absolutely fantastic match. Um, Brett ultimately won the world title November of 99, but by that point, it's like it's almost too late for him to really make a difference in WCW. The ship had really already sailed, and uh, obviously his career got pretty much cut short by Goldberg and that whole fiasco at Starcade 99, which oddly enough happened on my birthday in 1999, so that's interesting. Um, long story short, no, I, I think Brett's two and a half year run in WCW doesn't tarnish his legacy in wrestling. It's what happened to him, and a lot of unfortunate things happened with him and the Hart family between '97 and '99 and uh, in 2002. But uh, really, after that, the healing kind of began and, and kind of helped uh, get the, built back up, and and um, Brett ultimately made peace. And, and uh, for the most part, and still definitely one of the best wrestlers of all time, for sure. Absolutely. Bret Hart has been a part of both WWE and other other shows uh, on a, a occasional appearances. Still current to this day, I believe it was May of 2019. He makes his only appearance in AEW. He debuts the AEW championship. He was the uh, first champion. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then I think he was seen an impact on a video message to congratulate Ken Shamrock for being in, inducted in the Impact Hall of Fame. 
Um, but I, I think overall, like you said, his legacy is he's going to be maybe known as one of the greatest technical, if not the greatest technical wrestlers in the ring. He, he, he was just, when he was at his prime, he was just so good at making you believe that what he was doing was actually painful and hurting. And he knew just how to, how to do it. Um, his tag team partner, Jim Neidhart, they were part of the Hart Foundation. Um, I guess he married into the family, so we can talk about him a little bit. Um, I don't think he's as well known as Brett in terms of maybe legacy, but I, but Jim Neidhart had a pretty decent career in the ring. Obviously, he was part of the Hart Foundation, and then um, that was probably where he found a lot of his early success. Um Again, you know a lot more about this time of wrestling than I do. Um, overall thoughts on Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Interesting personality. Um, kind of had a little bit of the psycho type of thing with the laugh that he did, the stroking of that beard. Um, a really good big man. And him and Brett complimented each other so well with the Heart Foundation, one of my all-time favorite tag team wrestlers or tag teams uh, of all time, the Hart Foundation. Um, they they complemented each other so well. To, uh, Brett with his technical prowess, Jim with the big, strong, physical style. Um, and that's why I think that that's why they've gone down to become one of the best tag teams of all time in, in wrestling history. Um, Jim as a singles wrestler, you know, he did a lot of stuff in Japan, um, a lot of stuff in Canada, Mexico, just really trying to tour around the world to try to make his name known. Um, get his name out there and I just you know just I think it was more charisma maybe the promo something like that <clears throat> excuse me um something just just didn't fully click with him and with the fans and the audience um but definitely you know good workhorse a, a guy that that you know really tried to give it his all with, with whatever program he was in with whomever he was wrestling um really did all sorts of stuff in Europe. Like I said, in New, New Japan and Canada, Mexico, and also WCW as well, had his hand in there. Him and Davey Boy both went to WCW around the time Brett showed up. And Brett, I think, kind of initiated that to bring them along since Owen was going to stay in the WWF that, um, you know, he wanted some of his guys there. And and Davey Boy and, and, uh, and, and Jim both went to WCW for a little bit, had their cup of coffee. Not too much happened. Um they didn't really get much over. It was just more so of a nostalgic thing than anything. Another way of saying, hey, got more WWF guys in WW. And then they kind of fade away and, and, and kind of went back to their own scenes. And, um, you know, Jim kind of stayed around. And I think really his legacy was more built upon not only what he did in the ring, which was fantastic in his run with the Hart Foundation, but also, you know, being the father of Natalia. Um, that was a really big thing to have. And, and one of those things that you really remember his legacy for that, for having Natalia and, and, and making that connection um, on a personal note, both, both of you and I got to meet Jim, um, which was really cool. Uh, the one and only done WrestleMania 2017 for 33 in Orlando. And the first night we got there, it's crazy. First night we got there, we uh, unpacked and we're like, let's go out to eat. Let's go celebrate a little bit. And we went out to uh, <laughs> Twin Peaks restaurant in Orlando and uh, and Jim was just happened to be sitting there at the bar with his wife, I believe, and 
and the bar, the, the place was not crowded at all, you know. And I think I don't remember who if it was you or one of our other friends that were like, "Hey, is that Jim Neidhart?" And I couldn't, I couldn't tell at first. I'm like, "Ain't no way, that's Jim." They know why would he be here? And then all of a sudden, like, we kind of really looked at it, and like, "Oh shit, that is Jim Neidhart." Um, of course, y'all gave me the task to have to go up there and ask him to take a picture. You know, nobody else could do that. It was me. <laughs> historian of the group so i I don't know i guess but you know (laughs) you you try to be respectful with with any wrestler that's there on their own time you know you don't want to ban them and and luckily really wasn't too busy in the restaurant but you still feel kind of weird and awkward about asking them to take a picture when they're not in a wrestling events but jim cool really nice to us allowed us to get that picture um and that really kicked off our weekend of wrestlemania week of wrestlemania weekend uh, on a really, really cool note. So that was uh, really fun to be able to to talk to him for a second, meet him, and, and allow him to take a picture with us. So that was pretty cool. Um, should have posted it on here, but, but we didn't. Uh, maybe yeah, we'll post it on I mean, social media. That was such a, a cool moment uh, to, to meet him, kind of say hi. He was he was really cool. Um, and didn't seem to mind taking the picture. Uh, if only we had known, like not even a year and a half later, would have been the time of his death. Um, it's crazy how things happen like that. Um, he he did pass away. I guess the official death was, um, I guess he he had a seizure of some sort and fell. And I I think that's a, the official death note was like a head injury caused by a, his seizure, um, which which sucks. Um, yeah, Jim had a lot of demons, a lot of demons. Um, the family in general. You you look at like people like yeah. like, like Teddy Hart. I guess yep. he's officially part of there. There's a lot of drug problems in this family that kind of was kept of under the rug. Um, but see, I think that's just the nature of the industry and the nature the of these. Right. I was know. trying to say that's that's just kind of it comes with the territory. There there was a lot of, especially in the 80s and 90s, a lot of drug use and that's just kind of how it goes and uh yeah i think jim hart uh jim neidhart was was a, a pretty uh pretty decent uh wrestler in and of himself you know you mentioned the dallas cowboys jim neidhart played for the practice squad <laughs> i believe of the dallas cowboys at one point funny how that works yep so um yeah and, and then a good I, linebacker a defensive lineman okay. you could probably clog up the run lanes i'm sure <laughs> um, he was back. meant to be a he, he was meant to be a wrestler though. Um, yeah, no kidding. And I think the maybe the biggest member of the Hart family, not necessarily because of what he did in the ring, but what happened in the chaos surrounding his his unfortunate passing is Owen Hart. Um, and for the longest of time, the family of Owen Hart. I don't think really wanted any connection to any wrestling until AEW came. Um, and Tony Khan, I guess, was able to smooth the wounds with Martha um, to kind of get her to appear and to do a torn. A, a, are they doing it yearly now? The the Owen Hart Memorial Championship. I believe so. I know they've done it the last two years. Um... I would imagine they're going to be doing it again this year. I, I, that usually happens right around uh, Labor Day, right around um, – not Labor Day, excuse me, more, more Memorial Day. Um, yeah, I think the whole tournament takes place. Yeah. 
yeah, I think that's where both tournaments have culminated at. Um, I know they're going to be doing another Canadian tour and having a stop in Calgary, so I don't know if maybe they're going to try to have the finals there or have the finals again in uh, at Double or Nothing in May. Um, but yeah, it's been really cool to see that, to have that connection and have the connection with Martha and the Owen Hart Foundation and having Owen's legacy live on for uh, in the wrestling industry. It's been really cool to watch. Absolutely. And Owen, I think if he would have been able to obviously have a longer career than he had, he may have outdone Brett. He he had just the natural athletic ability to to, to just perform in the ring. Um, so I guess we can talk a little. I don't I don't like to talk about the negative stuff a whole bunch, but let's talk about Owen's death a little bit. I think Martha seems to think that Vince McMahon essentially sabotaged the the construction of the the high wire that he was on and he, he basically he bought really crappy parts cheap you know he was a cheapskate at, at that point and bought really cheap crappy parts and then ultimately they faltered and he fell to his death they cleared the they cleared the ring and then they continued the show as if nothing ever happened um and I guess your take on on Owen, I guess overall, obviously leading to his death here. Was, was there anything WWE did maybe wrong? Obviously, they did a whole lot wrong. He fell to his death, but anything they could have done to prevent the incident from happening? So, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, this is twenty four, twenty five years. Um, crazy to think actually this year will be the 25th year anniversary of that happening. Um, you know, looking back on it, was there a true guide on how to handle that kind of stuff? No. Um, that's the first time of something like that happening in, in its kind, I believe. There's been wrestlers that have passed away before in events. Famously, Brian Pillman passed away before um, a pay-per-view in 1997 and in your house. And uh, they carried on with the show, but he didn't pass at the arena. He didn't pass during the event, you know, like Owen did. So, you know, in in that instance, I guess, you know, it's understandable to keep on with the show. And and, and like I said before, and I'll say it multiple times, you know, I try to look at things on both sides of the foot as much as I can and try to get a true perspective on now, obviously, I can understand oh, uh, Martha's frustration and anger and just overall distance that she wanted to carry after that event and, and place the blame on Vince and the WWE. Um, I can see from Vince's side of things that it's just pure chaos and panic, and, and they've never dealt with something like that before. And to try to keep the boys preoccupied, to try to get through the night, just to get through that event and, and just try to – the boys' minds. You know, the crowd had no idea what was going on. So, I mean, they were just along the ride, you know. And um, at that point, do I agree that the show went on? No. I mean, I have shut everything down. Um, I love wrestling. I don't like to use the word fail. But 
when you have Jim Ross go on the air multiple times and say that what happened was not part of the storyline, it's not part of the gig, this is this is real life, this is real life happening, at that point, it's like, listen, this is a real situation. We have no idea what's going on, but something's really urgently and seriously going on that didn't look good. Um, you know, once you get that announcement, I mean, it's, it, if they didn't announce that on the air, that's one thing, but the fact that they said it on the air that Owen passed away, at that point, you know, you got to shut the show down. I mean, how, how can you go on at that point? You just, there's nothing you can do that's going to take away the, the, the shock and the awe and the sadness of the event. So you got to shut it down at that point, in my opinion. Um, now, from the perspective of the actual fall itself, you know, I understand that that gimmick was probably what was supposed to be a spoof of Sting and, and coming out of the Raptors and him releasing, getting released like a foot above the ring or something like that to where he fell and it was supposed to be a big goof, you know, and funny and all that stuff. I don't think Owen was really comfortable with that stunt, but he went along with it to go along with it, you know, and it's because I went to, you know, a consummate professional. Um, but the problem that I have with it is that they were told that it was the same stuntman, the same crew was the same that did the stuff for Sting, and it wasn't. And it was, like you said, Martha had the, uh, uh, I remember watching the the, the uh, doc on Vice, I believe, on Dark Side of the Ring, um, rig that they had. It was just like a little, little that you do for rock climbing type of thing. Um, and within, I think she said that, you know, you put six pounds of pressure on that, it releases. So, you know, if Owen just happened to move his shoulder a little bit, or if he was just making sure that everything was tightened up, six pounds of pressure, bam, that's it. And that part, when you're doing something like that, especially because wrestlers are their own stuntmen, and that's a true stunt. If that's ever to be one is to come off, you know, come out of the ceiling 70, 80, 90 feet in the air to come down to the ring and it's live on TV. It's not a stunt. You can keep filming and then just finally get it. It's a one-shot deal. If you watch Sting's there, he comes down from the Raptors, whether he stumbles a little bit on, on the impact or um, I don't know if it was set up perfectly or not, but where he had to land in the crowd or uh, there was an instance on Nitro where he, 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 he and Diamond Dallas Page hooked together and, and went up at the same time, which is a fantastic display, you know, just, just an amazing piece of footage. But it took like five minutes for him to get the clips all right and to get it on DDP, and it's just awkward. It's a lot of filler gap. But and I know Owen wasn't the most comfortable with the situation. There's a lot that they could have done differently. The biggest thing, obviously, is that, you know, at that point in 99, they're making a lot of money invest it into something like a, a true stuntman professional that you know is going to handle this to the utmost professionalism, make sure everything is tied, double check, triple check, or triple check. Everything's good to go. Um, it's amazing how Sting had done that stunt, I don't want to say hundreds of times, but a lot of times, to really no problems. And a couple months into Owen doing that, and, it, and I think that has to be because of the crew that Vince got and, and really didn't do a thorough investigation onto who was actually handling that. And, you know, we unfortunately got that, that situation in May of 99. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you never would think that 
something as small as the harness, the quick release trigger on the on the latches there would be something that would be, I guess, riddled in controversy until until it happens. I think at some point in time, WWF at the time settled with the family for like eighteen million dollars or something like that, um, and, and to get out of court there, I. I my, my my biggest problem, looking back, and again you said hindsight's twenty twenty, but I wonder if you asked Vince McMahon today if he would have rather paid the additional money to get the more secure harness, if he would do it, or if he was just okay with the way that things played out. And I would think he would he would rather pay the little additional money to get better equipment than have to pay out of court because one of your one of your wrestlers died because of something that you were negligent for. Um, terrible, terrible, uh, terrible incident. Like you said, people have died in wrestling before. Um, but I think this was one of the first times where it happened and the people really didn't know what was going on. There wasn't a, a lot of information being told to the people in the arena. They, they On the broadcast, they did announce that he had passed away. But the people in the arena didn't have no clue until afterwards that Owen had passed away. Um, and I just couldn't – I can't imagine sitting there watching the show – just wondering what happened to Owen. Is he okay? What's going on? Um, and then to be the next match to have to go out, I'm not sure what match followed that incident. Um, the- it's amazing how you notice that, and it's one of those things that you remember, A, from just being a wrestling junkie, but also a thousand different podcasts. The very next match was The Godfather versus uh, The Godfather um, and... Um, Nicole Bass. Somebody Nicole Bass against Jeff Jarrett and Deborah. Again, I recommend while well, listening to with Jeff Jarrett and Conrad Thompson. Uh, one of the first episodes they did was Jeff remembering Owen. He was one of Owen's best friends in the business. Um, he was tag team partners with uh, with Owen in late '98-'99. Won a tag team championship together, so they were they were road buddies. They were best friends. And Jeff, not only did Jeff have to do a live promo right after the incident happened with no warning, no notice. It was Jeff, you're up, Jeff, you're up, and he's like, No, I'm not. Owen's in a match. They're like, well, Owen fell. You, you, you need to do this. And he's like, what do you mean Owen fell? And then, you know, you just have to, you have to go with the flow. Did a live promo as Owen's being wheeled back. And one of the trainers was on top of Owen on the stretcher doing CPR. And he's trying to do this promo. And then he goes to the ring. And obviously there's an indent of where Owen fell and a little bit of blood. But he could feel the soft spot of where Owen fell. And, and later, you know, obviously he found out that was – you know, where he passed away at. Um, so, yeah, that was the next match was Jeff Jarrett, his best friend, longtime partner, all that stuff. 
he was the very next match. He was the first one of, of the boys to kind of feel the ring, feel around it. And man, what a uh, talk about just crazy circumstances and, and unfortunate circumstances and having your best friend go to basically where your partner just passed away and not only having a match, but just going to the same spot, just wild. But how that happened. Yeah, I just I wouldn't be able to uh, I guess maybe fully understand the emotion that was going on at that period. I was what, two years old at that time, so <laughs> uh, it, it, I mean, I just yeah, I mean, Owen I think was dubbed by several different companies, even outside of the wrestling industry, as like one of the greatest wrestlers, even in his young young career. So. Um, one could imagine that if he had a full, full length career, that maybe he's looked up, looked on the the, um, in the same light of like the Hulk Hogan's and the Ric Flair's in the industry, where he's like on the Mount Everest of all of the professional wrestlers. Um, and uh, he. He was, uh, he's one of my favorite wrestlers to watch. Just if you go back into the archives and watch, watch matches, he just, he's so good in the ring. Um, but yeah, Did I you mean, imagine, obviously, if he didn't pass, but go another year, two years down the road, the matches you could have had with Chris Benoit and Jericho and Kurt Angle would have been, would have been just amazing, amazing matches. Absolutely. He would have, he would have had a great, career you, I think he would have had great matches with like the likes of Stone Cold and The Rock as well he wasn't that great maybe as a as a promo guy but just to put on good technical matches there him fighting Kurt Angle would have been fun to watch um, but it, you can always have those dream matches that you just never get um, and then I guess in the modern day we have Natalia. she's still in the WWE um, holding on tightly to her family legacy because if she didn't have it, she wouldn't be in the company. Um, <laughs> um, now I, I like Natalia. She 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 has the position that she's in, and she's a legend in the industry, and she's a good good trainer to work with some of the young women, and that's kind of her role right now. So, um, I mean, hey, if if it it keeps you in the in the industry, then you take what you got and. She's filling that role well. Um, and I think that's the last of the Hart family. That's, I don't know of anybody else. Teddy Hart used to wrestle, but he in jail now. So, um, he's <laughs> <laughs> had problems, man. Teddy's just been in and out of, of jail and wrestling. Um, I believe, uh, Davey, Davey Boy Smith's son, David Hart Smith, D.H. Smith, I believe he's still in New Japan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or at least I know he was a few years ago. I'm not sure if he's still in the uh, in the realm of wrestling, um, but I know that he was obviously in WWE with Tyson Kidd as the new Heart Foundation, the Heart Dynasty, um, and then they kind of went their separate ways. Obviously, TJ got injured and uh, uh, hasn't been able to wrestle since then. Um, he's in MLW. Is David David DH Smith yeah. in uh, MLW? So pretty cool. I think at one point in, uh, in time. I think he signed with WWE at one point. Yeah, he was like, part of uh, him and Tyson Kidd's tag team, the Heart Dynasty, the Heart Foundation, something like that. 
Um, it's the yeah, it's manager. I think he was signed like right during COVID again back to WWE. And then because of COVID, they had all the roster cuts, and he was one of the ones that were cut. And now he's back with MLW. So I, I, he's good. At, I guess he's still in wrestling as well. Um, I'll ask you the same question we asked last week about the Von Erich family, which is, I think, quite interesting. I believe Fritz Von Erich was trained by Stu Hart, if I remember correctly, in wrestling. Um what is the legacy overall of the Hart family? Um, when, it, when you look at all the wrestling families and, and, and the history of wrestling, where do you place the legacy of the Hart family? So, yes, uh, Fritz was trained by Stu Hart. So amazing how that works. And that's amazing how the families intertwine with themselves. And, and that's why, you know, it's what, what the cool thing about the series is, is that you, you – you learn things obviously as you're, you're doing the research and, and things like that, but how the families can, can intertwine and, and, and mingle together, even when they're not solely in the sports circle face to face and in storyline and things like that, where Stu trained Fritz. Um, obviously I think the Hart family is probably the most famous, most well-known family in wrestling um, just because they had so much success with, with Brett with Owen, and, and the amount of legacy and family members that were in the business at the top level, like Davy boy, British bulldog, um, Jim Neidhart, and then obviously Owen and Brett, um, Stu Hart was a legend in the industry as well. Um, and then they produced offsprings that carried a new generation with Natalia and Tyson kid and, and DH Smith. And Teddy Hart doesn't extend, but you know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that, but, uh, overall, they, they're probably the most famous family, most well-known family in professional wrestling history. Um, one that, unfortunately, does have some tragedy with it, but does have a lot of successful stories and a lot of success and uh, ultimately has, has come out to be one of the most uh, families uh, and successors of, of professional wrestlers in, in our industry. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you because of what they did personally in the ring, but because of how important the Heart Dungeon was in creating a bunch of big stars and the and, and, and like people like Brian Pillman were trained by Stu Hart. Um I think Abdullah the Butcher had some training with Stu Hart. Like there were so many big names that ha- played a part and Stu Hart helped f- mold them into the character and the gimmick and the wrestlers that they were. You have to put them at the top of the fa- family tree in terms of families and, and pro wrestling. Um, and, you know, obviously looking at it from, from this week, both of the uh, patriarchies of the family, both Fritz with the Von Erics and then Stu with the Hart family, both had their own, very, very well known and at one point very successful wrestling promotions. Obviously, Fritz had WCCW, Stu with uh, St. Pete Wrestling, um, obviously, would ultimately be bought out and, and move on to different things. But it's amazing how they both owned, uh, headed up their, their promotions and obviously put their sons over and put them as the right. top guys in their, in their companies. Amazing how that works, isn't it? 
it's, it's pretty amazing um, how all of that works. I, I'm looking up a list of a bunch of people that I guess Stu Hart trained, and it's a pretty good, pretty good list of names. I'll name a couple that I haven't named already. Um, Junkyard Dog, which is kind of where we I got my the name of Junkyard James, kind of that plus a little bit of other things. Um, obviously, Jim Neidhart, Jushin Thunder Liger was trained by Stu Hart. Um, Let's see, uh, Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, Gorilla Monsoon, Edge and Christian, Benoit. They all had the, the Canadian connection there. I mean, that was my childhood. Edge, Christian, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit. Like, those were big names when I was growing up watching wrestling. And they have some sort of effect from some guy who started wrestling in the early 30s, 40s, 50s. So, I mean, the legacy of the Hart family, I think, will last pretty long. Um, For sure. Absolutely. And then, of course, whatever Natalia trains, you know, that'll fall into that that tree and that uh, uh, umbrella of people um, impacted by the Hart's. And then even in some way, I think, what, TJ uh, Tyson Kidd still does some training. I don't know if he wrestles in and of himself, but I'm sure he has some form of training program or whatnot. Um, yeah, so next week we'll, we'll continue. Uh, I'm thinking if we can get my guy slapping meat wrestling brother on the show, maybe we'll do the McMahon family next week. We'll see if that works. Hey, uh, it would be the go home show for us leading up to the Royal Rumble, one of the most impactful, legendary events uh, Vince McMahon and company created. Uh, back in 1988, and it has been a long-standing, uh, probably one of the two biggest wrestling shows you'll get on the calendar each and every year. Um, definitely would be would be fun to get him on board and uh, go through the history of the McMahon family, which yes. would be a very fun topic, very fun. That'll episode, be fun for sure. We'll see if we'll definitely talk about him, but we'll see if we can get a guest or two on the show, and we can we can talk about the McMahon family here. Um, but before we log off here tonight, any last parting words from anybody? Not a whole lot. Um, obviously, myjunkyardmediagroup.com. Um, obviously, contact us there if you have any questions, if you have any comments, um, ideas for the show, if you'd like to be a part of the show, uh, definitely put an email through there. You can follow us on all the social media platforms. That are listed on the website, X, YouTube, Facebook. Um, have a Discord channel. Get in the damn Discord, please. If you like wrestling, want to talk wrestling, share your opinions, piss people off, troll people. If you want to um, just be around a, a group of people who are like-minded and enjoy pro wrestling, you got to join it. It is an interesting group of people that we have in there. So you need to get in there. It's, it's quiet in the Discord sometimes. I forget sometimes that, that we have one. But uh, we got to get some more people in there, open up the, the conversations. Um, it's fun. There's several different channels that you can you can commune. If you're a WWE-only fan, we got WWE-only chats. If you like them all, you can join AEW and WWE. Comment, leave your questions for the show. Maybe Maybe next week that's what we'll do. We'll talk about the McMahon family. And then we'll run a, a Q&A leading up to Royal Rumble. 
Um, maybe talk about some of our biggest Royal Rumble uh, moments because there's been quite a few big moments in Royal Rumble history. Um, maybe that's what we'll talk about next week. But yeah, um, as we part out here, junkyardmediagroup.com is your one-stop shop for everything. Junkyard Media Group. Um, you can go on there, listen to the audio version of the show, listen to the audio version of the Slap and Meat Wrestling podcast and the We Too Deep podcast if you're into pro football or college football. Um, yeah, it's a it's a good time. Go over there, junkyardmediagroup.com. And if you don't have anything else, my friend, I think we'll see everybody next Thursday. See everybody next Thursday. Hope everybody has a great week. Points north, south, east, and west. East and west. Boy, easy for me to say. Um, yeah, see you all next Thursday.